Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into the Believe Oregon Football Podcast, the first episode since we've had real live college football being played. And wow, I uh, I can't help but wonder if all the love I have been showing UCLA this offseason is for naught. It's hard to know exactly how much to take away from their opening game against Hawaii this past Saturday. A Hawaii team that looks like an absolute bottom dweller. But Chip Kelly's team especially his quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, left a lot to be desired. Now, I still expect Oregon's trip to UCLA in October to be arguably their toughest conference game, but wow, that, that Bruins team has a lot of work to do, especially DTR, who was abysmal in the passing game. His legs are always going to be a real threat, and with Chip scheming it, you know he's going to find ways for him to be the most effective, but... That was not an impressive showing from a Bruins team that I think a lot of people are expecting to make noise in the South. But regardless, it is officially game week for Oregon. We made it. And Oregon's opening game opponent, Fresno State, they made it too, albeit they're going to enter Saturday's game not quite as healthy because the Bulldogs also played this past weekend where they took down another abysmal opponent in Connecticut, who will probably challenge Hawaii for the worst program ground in the country. Uh, a 45-0 easy romp in Fresno yesterday in temperatures that I saw reached well over 115 degrees. So uh, a good start for Fresno State. They, they got their feet wet. They're ready to play. But what we can what can we take away from that game as fans of, of Oregon? Probably not a lot. You rest assured that Oregon's coaching staff is all over it, obviously. But uh, one thing I do want to make notice of, if you didn't see... Uh, however, it was Fresno State's starting quarterback, Jake Hayner, who actually went down in the second half with an injury. No word yet on the severity of that injury or his availability against Oregon coming up Saturday. But uh, I'm assuming we're going to know the answer to that in a few days. Now, again, with the, the talent disparity, probably won't make a big difference whether he's playing or not. But that we saw last season, Oregon faced how many backup quarterbacks and really seemed to struggle in a lot of those games. So maybe it's one of those situations where you actually want the starting quarterback to be in there because you know what you're going to get. But this game won't be about Fresno State. It just won't. This is about Oregon and their ability to impose their will. Because the reality is that outside of Ohio State in week two, every game that Oregon plays this season will be just that. Them imposing their will will. And that's the main thing that's become apparent 
especially as I was flipping through some games on Saturday, Illinois, Nebraska, which was just an eyesore for even the biggest college football fan. <laughs> but watching other teams and then thinking about the speed, the size, the power in which Oregon is building their roster, it really will be that simple for me. Oregon imposing their will because they can go 12 and 0. I don't think they will because of that Ohio State game. I think they're going to come up just a tiny bit short, but they can. However, the 11 and 1, that one is a real possibility because in the conference, in the Pac 12, the only reason Oregon would ever lose a game is because they didn't bring their best. Their biggest challenges, I would say, probably on the road for the UCLA game, as I mentioned, on the road for Washington, on the road for Utah, those teams are just not as talented as Oregon. They don't have near the top-end talent, the the high four-star guys, the five-star guy. The only other team in the conference that has as many five-star players as Oregon or as much depth in terms of that real top end four star that's which is those are the guys that really take your roster from good to great to elite yes you you need to have the Thibodeaus and like USC has Corey Foreman like you need to have those guys but if your roster can be built up of 70 to 80 percent four star blue chip players those are the difference that's what took Clemson over the top that's what Alabama has every year those programs, it's it's that depth that's built up. And outside of Oregon, USC is the only program in the conference that has that, and Oregon doesn't play USC until a potential showdown in the Pac-12 game. So this really is a season that all eyes should be focused inward if you're the Ducks. If Mario Cristobal and the staff can really bring this team into all 12 of their, of their contests 100% locked in and focused again, outside of Ohio State, there's no excuse not to go undefeated. If they're going to be as mentally tough as Cristobal is preaching, and believe me, he's preaching it, listen to his media availability throughout fall camp. That's what he's hammering home. How the coaches are doing all they can to make the players uncomfortable to best prepare them for adversity. If they can bring that toughness and focus... Chip Kelly's scheme won't matter when they go to UCLA. The rivalry and the emotion and the rain and the ugliness in Seattle, it won't matter. The snow and the crazy atmosphere in Salt Lake when they go to Utah won't matter. If they can do that, if the Ducks can harness that uncomfortableness that they have remembering from fall camp, if they can do that and they can enter every game ready to pounce their talent alone should take care of the rest. Then you factor in like their two offensive coordinators, the former head coaches, Joe Moorhead, Tim DeRuiter, their work in the fourth quarter program that they put in this year with Coach Aaron Feld and the rest of the strength staff. It really, it all sets up. This team, focused, locked in, which you could tell there were large portions of 2020 where they weren't, which is understandable. A lot of teams weren't. If they can do that, 11-1 and one should be the floor for this team. And that work and that journey, it begins on Saturday. I can't believe it. It feels, you know, every offseason, it feels like when, when the season ends in January, it feels like the season is just 
forever away. We've, we, as humans this year, <laughs> the entire world, we have so much going on, so much distraction that it's it, in a way it's almost like the season snuck up on us, it, even though it didn't. But you know, you wake up and you blink, and it's June, and then before you know it, it's Fourth of July. Now it's already the end of August, and we're here and really excited. This is going to be a uh, very interesting season. Interesting in the best ways I just outlined. I, I think there's real potential for specialness for Oregon if they just go in focused. And with that, I'm really excited for our guest today. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. Not that that should matter, but it does. He's a very talented writer. He's the head man at Ducks Digest at Sports Illustrated. He's a former writer for Scoop Duck, which is how I got to know him. His name is Max Torres. Max, take my listeners through your journey. So how did you end up at Sports Illustrated? Yeah, wow, that's a that's a loaded question for sure. So I'll try to I'll try to, you know, condense my my story as much as I can. Um, but you know, a, a lot of people out there know that I started with you guys at Scoop Duck um uh about three years ago in 2018. Uh, you know, for the longest time I was a college football fan who who loved following the ducks and there was nothing to do in the summer months. But uh, so that kind of got me kicking around the question, you know, how do these programs build their teams? You know, what's the science like behind that? And uh, that's recruiting. You know, that's the lifeblood of any program, as the saying goes. And, um, you know, I reached out to Justin and, and asked if I could, you know, try to get involved here because I got a lot of passion for sports and things kind of just rolled from there. Uh, ended up at uh, Gonzaga for college and uh, did some some sports broadcasting stuff there, combination of writing and uh, being on the court, holding the camera as a production assistant. And then, you know, if you fast forward a little bit, I decided to pursue a master's degree in journalism here at the University of Oregon, um, kind of on a whim. It was literally the Christmas before uh, graduation. And my parents, uh, God bless them, were, were, you know, awesome enough to, to let me take this chance and come out to Eugene to chase the dream of becoming a sports journalist and, uh, you know, ultimately cover the ducks. So kept rolling with scoop duck and, uh, just kept doing my thing. And then, uh, you know, a good opportunity fell into my lap with sports illustrated and, and now I'm running the show at ducks digest. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and you've been over there for a few months now and, and just killing it. You guys have, have a, so much content that you're putting out, but in, in the best way, it's sometimes it's, you know, some places start to try to pump out a bunch of stuff and it just gets lost. But what you guys are doing over there is fantastic and, and really admire your work. And uh, at the rate Justin's going, he's going to have quite the the tree. He's going to have the Bill Belichick tree of, of reporters and writers as they come through Scoop Duck there. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm very happy for your success. And so let's get into this. Let's get into this team here now that we're, we're Boy, when this comes out, we're going to be five days away from from uh, from the season kicking off. So, as a reporter, so fans can watch these press conferences after practice, but you're there. You get to watch the beginning of a lot of practices. I know this year is definitely more obviously than last year, but Mario gives you guys like twenty to thirty minutes before practice starts. What's the vibe like amongst players and coaches from your perspective? It's a really fun vibe for sure. I mean, that that's uh, one of my favorite parts of practice, I'd say, is when we get to watch the guys go through the flex period when they're stretching and you got the speakers bumping super loud music. I think that's something, you know, that people don't get to see or hear from the outside is, you know, being in that atmosphere. Guys are dancing around, you know, uh, yelling a little bit. You know, when you take photos of them, they'll, you know, just have that energy and pose for you sometimes, which is really, really cool, unique experience. 
Um, but it's also really locked in. I mean, you don't see guys messing around, not that you'd expect to sit at the college level, you know, hopefully you're, you're past that at this point, but yeah, it's, it's a, a fun atmosphere for sure. But, you know, everyone is really locked in and, you know, there's attention to detail, um, you know, especially at the offensive line. I, I love watching Mirabal and Cristobal go through, um, you know, their routines go through drills, you know, um, you know, I'll see something and I think it'll look pretty good. And, and then you see Mirabal just hop on a guy and say, no, you got to be doing X, Y, Z or Cristobal says, if you don't do this, man, we're, where we have no shot. And it's just, you know, you can see how critical every rep is to these guys. And, you know, it really just, it um, kind of hammers home the point of stacking reps, stacking days, and just trying to build momentum, uh, you know, all going towards the common goal, which is ultimately a national championship. You know, the, the vibe very much of this team is that the PAC 12 title is great and all that, but, but we're ultimately aiming for something a whole lot higher. So when you get to watch the quarterbacks up close, you, you definitely get a different perspective. The ball sounds different when it leaves the hands of certain players. Anthony Brown will likely start next Saturday. But when you're watching them in person, is there an audible difference between him and a talent like Ty Thompson? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think I've been so much focused on the the sound of their throws, I guess, if that makes sense. But, but when I'm looking at someone like a Ty Thompson, I just feel like there's so much more zip on the ball. Like that's, that's so evident. Like you can just tell that there's so much power built up in, in that arm of his and um, regardless of what kind of throw he's making, it's just so precise. I mean, he'll, he'll miss throws, obviously, you know, he's not a perfect quarterback, but I think just when you're comparing those two, uh, you know, balls, when they're coming out of, of, of Brown's hand or a Thompson, a guy like Thompson, it's just, uh, it's definitely looking a lot different that's not to say that Brown isn't, you know, accurate or throwing a bad ball per se, but I'd say you can visually, you can, you can really see it when they let it rip. And then a guy that I don't think is getting enough talk about with the quarterbacks is, is Jay Butterfield, the guy who's been in the system for a while now. Um, and I think he has the best deep ball on this team. So maybe not as crisp when it comes to, you know, mobility and just, you know, how fast he's throwing it, but he's got a really fluid throwing motion. And he's a guy that I've really enjoyed watching the fall camp. Yeah, th- this reference might be you're, you're a young buck, but uh, he reminds me he's either going to be Justin Roper or Justin Herbert. There's no uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's any in between. They're all three of those guys are six, six. And, and you know, Roper had the size and, and we thought the arm and, and he ended up you know floundering when he really had a chance to shine for Oregon back in the Chip Kelly days. But yeah, he, he does. He gets he gets lost in the shuffle. But, you know, again, we don't see what's going on. And, and, and Mario is not shy about putting in the guys that they know behind the scenes are the ones that are, you know, have earned the spot, but let's take a look at the running back situation because that's kind of fascinating to me. It feels like CJ Verdell and Travis die are almost afterthoughts in the minds of a lot of people, because it's like they represent what Oregon has been and not what they could be. So barring injury, they're going to get 80% of the snaps. And now with Sean dollars out for an extended period of time, who do you see emerging as that third back, the guy that's going to get four or five carries a game and, and would have to jump in if one of them ends up getting hurt? We're seeing a lot of the, the same deal that we've uh, you know seen Eugene for, I don't even know, the, the longest time. I really started watching the Ducks probably back around 2012-ish. Like when I was in high school is when I really got into college football. But, uh, you know, the thing that we're seeing is that the Ducks have another ridiculous running back room, you know, tons and tons of talent. 
And fans always find themselves asking, how are they going to distribute the snaps? So to your question, Joel, I think that I'm going to go with seven McGee. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who's definitely generated a lot of buzz, a lot of hype, especially when you consider his journey to Eugene. Um, the fact that he's finally here, but I think he's going to be a guy that's just going to be too difficult to keep off the field. Um, they're, they're using him pretty exclusively at, at running back for right now. I talked to him last week and that's kind of what he was telling me. He was saying, Hey, I'm trying to get the running back roll down and, and maybe hoping for some slot work in the future, but he's just super dynamic and is just a, a, a spark plug. I mean, I, you could make the comparisons between Travis Dye because, you know, they're, they're kind of smaller backs and uh, Dye does a lot of really good things catching the ball out of the backfield. But this dude just, he just has so much, I, I want to say juice, electricity. <laughs> the, the right word to describe his play style is just escaping me, but he's a really, really strong do-it-all kind of guy. Um, you know, definitely does his fair share of jukes and everything, but he has the physicality um, that I think this offense, you know, has, has branded itself on. You know, you, when you see a guy of a little bit smaller stature like C.J. Verdell, um, you know, he, he's, you know, making up for that. He's, you know, hovering around the 200 mark but he brings a pop for sure. And, and I think that I just really love the, the energy that seven brings to the table and uh, his approach to the game and, and how his skill set really projects in this offense. Yeah. In a practice recently, uh, someone asked Jim Mastro, and it may, it may have been you, uh, Oregon's running back coach, if he could remember a player being committed to a school for as long as seven has been, he originally committed back in 2018. Now he's finally here. He's really an incredible story due to a lot of personal things. But it also sounds like he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. So you, you, you touched on it, like what he brings to Oregon that's so unique that they haven't had since a guy like DeAnthony Thomas. And we're not going to compare him to DeAnthony because they're they're not the same player. But he really does seem to bring and offer that that just unique skill set that they have not had in a long time. Yeah, no doubt. It, it's a. Uh... It's, it's hard to watch a guy like him and, and hear the intel coming out of fall camp and not get really, really excited about, you know, what, what we could really see this year. Um, I think, you know, Jim Mastro has said that he likes to, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but I believe he likes to favor the hot hand when it comes to who's, uh, who's you know, getting the, getting the rock out of the backfield. Um, and just when, when I think of the, the possibilities of rotating the guy like seven in with CJ and, and Travis, it's it's going to make it so that these defenses have to scheme and prepare very heavily for the running back position. Um, and I think that we really didn't get to see all of what Joe Moorhead wanted, particularly in the passing game from the running backs. I mean, it also comes down to you know the who ends up being the quarterback because if you get the read option game going, I mean that just opens up a whole nother level for for these running backs to get involved. And I love the burst that Seven has out of the backfield. Um, and I also think when you're looking at a guy like him, he's not someone that's overly East West. I think that's really important to have in your running backs nowadays, because there's too many guys that, that like to be flashy and then they end up losing five, seven yards, just trying to, <laughs> trying to make something happen. But, um, I think that he's definitely a guy that can make an impact this year and, and his value might not even be limited to the offense. He's a guy that we saw get some special teams work in the, the scrimmage that we were allowed to go to a couple weeks back at Autzen. And um, he, he just got a, got everybody buzzing for sure. Yeah. Mastro basically let the cat out of the bag too. I think he said uh, he didn't say that he's going to be the main punt returner, but he, he said, uh, you know, he, he's, he was one of probably two guys that will rotate through that position as well. Byron Cardwell is another guy that reminds me a lot of some of the Oregon backs in the past who 
as fall camp rolls along, certain names start popping up more and more and there becomes a little bit of a buzz. And he's another guy that I'd say watch out for because he, he kind of reminds me, he's got the best of both CJ and Travis and that he's a bigger guy, probably the, one of the bigger on the team, him, him and Trey Benson, uh, but can still move too. So he's someone I would, I would caution fans to watch out for as well as, as being able to sneak in there. Now, from a, a pure body type perspective, just how different is this 2021 team compared to years past? Again, you're on the field. You get to see these guys up close. Mario is an SEC guy. He's a Southern guy. He's a Florida guy. He wants those bodies. He has seen them up close. He's coached them at Alabama. And he wants them whether he has to recruit them or if he has to help build them. He's now in year four, technically. Let's remove. Let's keep last year in there because it did happen. So even with last year being a wash and Aaron Feld and the coaching, the strength staff, not really being able to be with these guys a whole lot is Mario's vision of that body type for his team starting to come to fruition. Absolutely. Absolutely. That yeah. Mario's vision for the, for this team from a physical standpoint, from a body type standpoint is a million percent coming to fruition. If you look at these guys across the board, obviously the, the first, the guys who are projected to be in that first line, uh, whether it be offense or defense or just massive, but behind them, the, the guys are just as big. Um, you know, when you're looking at Jason Jones, for example, he's a, a huge guy. Uh, I believe he's around the, the six, five, three thirty range, three twenty range. I'm looking at my roster here. So I'm kind of cheating. He's listed on the most recent roster at six, six, three twenty. Um, he's a guy that didn't play much last year. But uh, he's someone that we're hearing a lot about in fall camp as far as someone who could get a bigger role. Uh, the staff's looking to maybe use him to spell Popo Amavai of uh, some some reps there uh, in the trenches where it can get really physical, as we all know. And then the, the offensive line, too, you know, the, all these guys that are going to be coming in, you could look at maybe a, a Kingsley Suamataya who uh, has been making some, some noise in fall camp, um, who a lot of people maybe uh, unreasonably expected to start. Um, we don't know right now if he's going to start, but just say, you know, take a step back with all the offensive line guys returning, you're looking at the second unit and these guys are huge. You got Jackson Powers Johnson, who, who's massive as well. Uh, Faope is, has looked like he's really chiseled down. Um, I believe he was at 400 pounds or very close when I initially saw him after he committed as a high school recruit. But um, yeah, that's just just like you're saying, Joel, you know, he's either bringing them in and they're already massive or he's building them up to, to be at a, a college ready level. If you look at a guy like Ryan Walk, a former walk on who is uh, absolutely holding his own against all the opponents now. Yeah, that's the thing is, is a guy like Walk is never going to win a measurables contest, but, you know, you can tell the coaches love him. And I'm glad you brought up Jackson Powers because he also reminds me of a, the kind of guy that he comes in. He wasn't the highest rated recruit, you know, in this class, wasn't the highest rated offensive. He's, in fact, I think he was the lowest rated offensive lineman recruit in this class might be the most ready to play right out the gate, both because of position where he probably, you know, figures best as a center. And he just seems to have that it factor like they they're going to have a hard time keeping him off the off the field. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up Jason Jones, because this was going to bleed into my next point where. Now, you follow recruiting thoroughly. You did it Scoop Duck, and you're doing so at Ducks Digest. And aside from the obvious guys, there are not many around these parts on the West Coast of the big difference-making defensive linemen. 
why do you think Oregon is still struggling to land that that type of guy? And I don't count Kayvon Thibodeau because he's, you know, he's an edge player and now he's basically moving, you know, he's going to probably, you know, moonlight as a linebacker for the most part. And, you know, you, they have a Jason Jones who is, is a big guy. He, he fits the body type, but still wasn't, you know, he was a four-star fringe four-star player. And I know people like to say he chose Oregon over Alabama. We don't necessarily know if Alabama was even a committable offer. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a good story and it sounds good. And he very well could be a dominant force if he puts it together, but it's, it's just that elite five-star defensive tackle, nose tackle, that type of guy. It really feels like that's the one area Oregon is still striking out on. Now, from your perspective, is it just because of a location factor? Is it, is it a Joe Salavea factor? I mean, he's, you know, he's a guy that the players love, but he, you know, that's his position. That's his group. And they just can't quite get that guy. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a good point for sure. When you think about it, um, especially from a recruiting standpoint, I think that they're, they're definitely landing some solid dudes along the defensive line. But um, I think that we just maybe haven't seen them. We haven't given them enough time to pan out just yet. Um, the defensive line is absolutely one of the one of the groups that I'm most excited for this year to, to see who emerges behind Brandon Dorless. I mean, I, I was banging the brand Brandon Dorless drum, you know, pretty early last season, not to pump myself up, but I, that's a guy that that's a guy that I, I've really I've really thought he was going to be a dude. Um, you know, once they started getting, giving him more play time. But just some of the other names that you have here, you know, Keon where Hudson is a, a big dude from the L.A. area. Um, one of the one of the guys that started the Cali flock movement out of modern day. Uh, and then Christian Williams from, from Tennessee, I think he's a guy that's going to get some pretty good, uh, pretty good snaps this year, but just from a recruiting standpoint, um, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a tough, tough question to answer because when you're looking at the pieces that are there and you know, what, uh, what a recruit might be looking at, you have the NFL production and development. You have guys like Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner that have come through the program. Maybe, maybe recruits are looking at that and they're taking a little bit more of a, what have you done for me lately type of deal. Um, in, in a case when maybe a Kayvon Thibodeau would kind of help with some bargaining, but you have an NFL NFL vet at coach and clearly there's a dedication to, to the trenches. So, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint any particular reason because they are going out and, and reaching all across the country to get offensive line talent. So maybe we just need to see some production. Maybe it's like you're saying, we just need someone other than a Kayvon Thibodeau who's kind of moving all over the place and, and factors in more as an edge rusher than a true you know defensive lineman per se. Um, so maybe we're, we just need to see a little bit more of that, uh, someone break through uh, at Oregon. But if you're looking at the 22 class, the, the guys that they have in the fold right now are really strong with Grayson Halton and Sir Mel's. Sir Mel's, you know, kind of has that that body type that you maybe would look for in a more high profile guy. And I think that this guy's the limit for him when you're looking at him getting him in a in a weight program and coached up by one of the best in Joe Salavea. So I've got a lot of respect for what the defensive line is doing, but I do think that there's a little bit more to be desired there. That's a good point. Yeah, that's why a, a guy like Anthony Lucas in this 2022 class, I I know things aren't trending well towards him, but he he's the kind of guy that you have to be able to go out and land if you're Oregon and you want to truly put yourself up there. And and don't get me wrong. I, I'm with you. I'll take every three-star, low four-star defensive line body from the South. I mean, because, you know, th- those guys are just, they're just built differently down there. It's, they, you know, it's ingrained in them. They, you, that's why you owe, you never turn down a Jason Jones. You don't turn down a Christian Williams because you're right. They're just, 
maybe they didn't come with the rankings, but you know, they clearly are on the prefaces of turning into something great. Just, you know, we, we want that. They need that game changing kid to come in here and maybe that starts an avalanche and, and who knows, but yeah. And just, just, just to hop in here real quick, Joe, sorry. Um, didn't want to cut you off, but I have one more little tidbit on the, the D line. Yeah. Um, if that's cool. I mean, I think just, just to go back on my point about, I think this is the year we're going to see some breakthrough on the defensive line. You know, I was watching a rep the other day uh, with Suava Pody. Uh, defensive lineman from St. John Bosco. So another guy from, from the Southern California area, you know, I, I got to check out that program at the end of July and, you know, talk to the coaching staff and kind of see how they, they run the show out there a little bit. And this is a guy that I think could definitely make some noise this year. Um, I feel like I'm saying that about so many people, but like he just, they were doing a double team drill and just the way that I saw him stand his ground and this dude just was not moved. Uh, by the two defensive linemen that that were blocking him. And then you have a guy like Keanu Williams, who's a true freshman, came in as an early enrollee. He's listed on the roster at 6'6", 304. So we're, we're definitely seeing the body types there one way or another. And um, I think that you're, you're looking for this group to take a big leap forward, especially if you're a J- Tim DeRuiter here in, on the defense. Yeah, and the way Wilson, uh, Ken Wilson, is recruiting linebackers, you, you quite literally just need defensive linemen to stonewall and then let those guys just run wild. It's, it's, you know, it, that's why I have such high hopes for the defense this year, because you're bringing in a guy like, like Tim DeRuiter who has proven his worth as a very well-respected defensive coordinator. And he has never had half the talent he's going to be able to work with this year. I mean, even at Texas A&M, he had Von Miller and then a bunch of guys around him that were, eh, you go to Cal they had a few guys in the secondary that that have gone on to the NFL, but for the most part, you look at the bodies and they were, eh. But now at Oregon, I mean, he has a cupboard full, and it's only seemed to be you know growing by the year. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's a, a lot of weapons that are, you know, have fans excited and and even have scouts excited. I, I was talking to, I think I was talking to Jacob the other day, and he was telling me that uh, uh, Jacob Archer. He was telling me that Noah Sewell is starting to get, you know you know, thrown around in some, some NFL draft conversations and he's only played one season. Mm -hmm. So I think when you're looking at the recruiting acumen and ultimately one of the biggest reasons that I believe there should be so much warranted excitement for this year's team is that the development and the recruiting are kind of starting to overlap. You're seeing that coaching take hold and you're seeing these guys maybe looking like they could live up to some expectations that they've had coming in as highly touted recruits. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you switch over the offensive side and uh, you know, you watch a guy like Troy Franklin, like Dante Thornton live, the new two, uh, the true freshman receivers that have come in this year. And you compare them to the senior guys, the guys that have been here, Johnny Johnson, Micah Pittman, other veterans. And aside from the obvious, the height, the length, what is it about those two guys in particular, Franklin and Thornton, that's propelling them? Because I would say one of them, if not both, will be starting by the middle of the season. Like Franklin, probably likely Franklin, if you had to guess, just because he seems to be so far ahead of expectations and the expectations were already very high. Are they just examples, those two guys, of the difference between top 200 players like Micah Pittman was, Jalen Red was, two very talented players, but are they the difference between those kind of guys and top 50 players, which is what Franklin and Thornton were, or, or is there just something special about these two and unique? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Joel. I mean, when you're looking at the the wide receiver position, it's a, a position that I think's been sorely lacking as far as a production standpoint uh, in recent years. Even though we've seen the recruiting profile elevated um, even before Brian McClendon got here, but since he's gotten here, my lord, it's on a whole nother level. But and I think that's why you're seeing him in all these press conferences when he's saying, "Hey, you got all these talented wideouts. You got Trey Franklin and Dante Thornton. You know." He's basically just pushing all the hype to the wayside. He's saying that that doesn't mean anything to me uh, until they produce. And he, yesterday I was talking to him and he was talking about um, the value of, uh, you know, his or how he's approaching this uh, depth chart. He's using a production chart in practice and, you know, critiquing things like like technique, uh, drops, critical errors, catches, just so many different things going into this. And when he was talking about Troy, he was talking about just him being such a smart guy that that mental aspect really seems like it's there. Um, and, you know, you hate to use the phrase, but it's kind of like an OKG type of deal. Our kind of guy, he, he's he's coming from the the right program. He got they, he and Dante both got here early. But when you're looking at what's separating them, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, something that's helped them push uh, for some more snaps here early on in their college careers. Um, just being able to learn the playbook. But I just, I think the raw playmaking ability is really what, what's separating them right now. Um, I think when you look at a guy like Micah Pittman, he's someone that, that I think still hasn't unlocked his full potential since he hasn't been healthy. But I feel like every time that guy touches the ball, something really cool is going to happen. But the, the thing with, with Troy and Dante is I think that they, they excel at getting separation. I was watching some of their spring game highlights and they're getting the ball when they're open. I think that, not not just it's not a slight to the past receivers but that just hasn't necessarily been the case and part of that goes with the quarterback play right you know if if you have a guy who's not zipping the ball in there then the receivers naturally aren't going to look as good or they're going to get the ball and they're already going to be covered or someone's going to be getting there but these guys just have so much to to that they can bring to the table and with Dante you have a guy that has a track background he's six five and he's just an absolute burner so it's, it's, you, you break all of that down and you're only kind of scratching the surface as when it comes to, to why people are so excited about what these freshmen bring to the table. Yeah. I think uh, having guys like, like Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Matavau truly difference making tight ends is going to open up everything else for these receivers as well. I mean, having guys like that is something that Oregon has not really had at the tight end position, especially two of them. So that's going to be really exciting to see what they can do, the pressure they take off other guys on the offense as well. So the season kicks off Saturday. After that, it's Ohio State week two. Then the schedule gets pretty vanilla until they go to UCLA. And after that, it's tough. Road games, Washington. You have the tricky Washington State coming in, which always seems to give Oregon fits. Road trip to Utah. Oregon State at home, who there will be some major revenge factor going there. How do you see the season unfolding? If you had to to break it down, not a not a week by week thing, but just overarching, where does this season end up for Oregon? Yeah, I think anything anything less than the Pac-12 title would would be a letdown for this team with uh, the way that you see the momentum building, the the things that they've done, Mario Cristobal's vision coming to fruition. He's always saying, "Just getting started." And I think that you I'm, you have to draw the floor for this team at, at the Pac-12 title just with all the talent that they have, the coaching staff that they've assembled, the recruits that they've brought in. And when you're looking at the actual schedule itself, you know, when you're looking at the Pac-12, I feel like this is a, a schedule that bodes really well for the Ducks. Obviously, 
uh, you're not getting any favors when you're having Ohio State that early. But at the same time, I think this is a matchup this team has been wanting for the longest time. Literally the biggest game that they've played since the last time they played Ohio State in the national championship in 2015. I like that you get a start against a team like Fresno State. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't have the the glamour of uh, some of these other non-con games like a Georgia and Clemson. But I think that'll definitely be a good test, especially Absolutely. with the, the pass rushing presence that they bring. And I like some of their offensive weapons that should make for some good matchups. But yeah, after, after you get through Ohio State, it should kind of be a cakewalk. I think some people are sleeping on Stanford and Cal. Uh, Stanford finished the season on a really high note last year, and Austin Jones is an absolute playmaker. And I think even though they've been falling short of expectations, I think this is going to be a huge year for David Shaw in terms of just proving why he's, uh, you know, one of the the better coaches in the Pac-12, I think. And and Cal is starting to get things going. That UCLA matchup is going to be big. I guess I'm kind of giving you a week by week rundown. <laughs> um, I just I just got going here, but I think that uh, I de- I see them probably you know right around that 10 win range. Um, I think that Ohio State game's a, a toss up. You know, a lot of fans might not want to hear it, but I don't think that Oregon's there just yet. I, I hope that they prove me wrong because I'm flying to Columbus to watch that one. Um, and then, yeah, with, with UCLA and Washington, I feel like those are two games that that could go, uh, I don't know, not not either way necessarily, but there's a lot, a lot be on the table. <laughs> there'll be, there'll be some sure. tough matchups with UCLA being so close last year. And then, um, you know, Washington finally having a, hopefully whole normal, you know, off season to, to get things going over there in Seattle. Yeah. I, I think 10 and two, nine and three, and it, it, you know, if it does end up nine and three, I don't think people should be disappointed because it, you know, it gets beaten into our heads, but it, it's reality. This is a very young team, especially when you factor in most of the talent is in their second year, first year, maybe third year, but it doesn't really count because of last year. So it's just getting started. It feels like Mario's been here for a while, but it's really just getting started when you start to think of his guys. And by the way, I'm going to sneak into your suitcase so I can go to Columbus as well. Just, just throwing that out there just because I just want to go. So just be prepared for that. All right. Sounds I'm good. Gonna get you, I'm going to get you out of here. It's the million dollar question. Certainly going to come back. And and uh, if you're wrong at the end of the season, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you know it. I'm just kidding. When Oregon plays Oregon state at the end of the season, who is the starting quarterback for the Ducks? Oh man, yeah, that's that's definitely the, the million dollar question that, that everybody wants to know about. Um, when you're looking at the quarterback situation, it's it's such an interesting you know dilemma if you want to call it that, just because I think this is an opportunity for for the team to build towards the future with Ty Thompson and maybe go with a guy like him. You know, he, he's getting a, a ton of a ton of hype, obviously, and and you know, it's, I think it's warranted based on the developments that we've seen. I think that I, I, I'm going to say Anthony Brown, but that that's just because I think that with all of the factors at play, as far as the depth that this team is building, I, I know I wrote a piece about this. They don't need him to be a superstar. If, if these skill positions are, are half as good as the, the hype that we're hearing about them, then all he really needs to do is distribute. And that's not to say that I don't think Anthony Brown can be better than that. But I think that it's kind of to a degree becoming the situation like we see it with a lot of these, uh, you know, blue blood programs where the the talent is is really taking hold, the recruiting is taking hold, and and that kind of naturally just takes some weight off the quarterback position. So if this team's still in contention for a Pac-12 title, I see it being Anthony Brown, um, just because I feel like you don't need to take that risk and and trying to get tie in that uh, that early in his playing career. 
But just a similar note to go off of that, Joel, if this offense reaches, you know, the production clip that they, they're aiming for under Joe Moorhead, they should be blowing teams out. Mm-hmm. And then being able to get a guy like a Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford, some reps and take advantage of that four game redshirt rule to uh, so that, you know, if Brown plays the whole season and then he moves on, you're not in the same situation that you are now where you don't have very many guys, only one guy here now with Brown that have actually thrown a pass uh, in college. So I'm going to go with Brown for now, just because I feel like there's so many pieces in place for, for him to be successful. Um, whether that be by playmaking of his own or, or just getting the ball to his teammates and playing it safe, taking care of the rock. Yeah. Like you said three, three of their first four games, Oregon should have their backup quarterback in by halftime or the third quarter if all things break well. So uh, exactly. I, I'm with you. It should be Brown the whole year, but hopefully, the, you know, whoever is the number two gets a lot of chances. Max, watched your career from Scoop Duck, where you're at now, SI. Very happy for you. You work your butt off. You're extremely talented. Love seeing all the success you have and really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Going to ring your bell throughout the year, hopefully, uh, and get you back on as the season's going. We can get your analysis and your perspective. Uh, thanks again. Loved having you on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. No, thank, thank you for the kind words there, Joel, and, and appreciate you thinking of me. We'd, we'd love to do some more work with you in the future. Absolutely, Max. Really appreciate having you on. This is fantastic. Full disclosure, we finished recording that interview 10 minutes before Mario Cristobal announced that Anthony Brown was going to be the starting quarterback for the season because, of course, that's how it worked out. You finish something, you have a full conversation, all the ifs and ands and buts of what could happen. As soon as you're done, it all gets answered. But I digress. It, it is what it is. But the reality is it's the right move. Naming Anthony Brown the starter was the right move because unless one of the guys behind him be it Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford, unless one of those three was just that much better than Brown, it was always going to be the senior. He's earned that right. He came in last year. He had the opportunity to leave and pursue other things. He stuck with the team, and he gives you the best chance to go into Ohio State and win the game. Make no mistake, if Oregon's non-conference schedule was let's say the one they had in 2018 where they had Bowling Green, San Jose State, I believe Portland State. Ty Thompson is the starter. There's no question because those are three games that you could win with basically anybody as your quarterback. That's when you unleash your future, your your star player. But because Ohio State is on the schedule, like I said, barring one of those guys just being so unbelievably good and poised, and, and not saying that, that they're not, but unless one of them was going to be so much better than Brown would be, it has to be the senior because he gives you the best chance to walk into Columbus, stay tight, stay with Ohio State until the end, and giving yourself a chance to win. And I think Brown's going to surprise a lot of people this year. I really do. I know when he was announced, uh, it, it, unfortunately, if you were part of the unfortunate uh, conversation following along on social media a lot of a lot of fans were not happy with the decision a lot really wanted Thompson to get the job but Brown is going to be more than just adequate because again we've never seen him truly run Joe Moorhead's offense he didn't even play last year until the Pac-12 title game against USC and that was really only in spot duty 
And then again, in the bowl game against Iowa State, where, let's face it, that game was just kind of <laughs> kind of a show, uh, a not good show from the beginning. So I think Brown's going to surprise a lot of people this year. Because now we're going to get to see him with the full freedom of the offense, and he'll be able to use utilize his greatest weapon, which is his legs. He didn't get to do that a lot. He had a couple touchdown runs last season, but we never really saw him, you know, middle of the field. You got 70 yards to go, and Moorhead can call plays where Brown has that true option to use his legs and keep the defense fully at bay. Now he's going to have that, and that opens up so many things. Then you factor in the weapons he has. Now, do I still think there's a chance that by the end of the season, Thompson is the starter? I do. And you heard Max and I talk about it. But I also see a scenario in which Brown has the team rolling towards the end of a of the end of the season toward a potential berth in the college football playoff. And obviously at that point, he is the guy 100% until the end. You, do, you don't make a change for change's sake, especially if you're reaching the mountaintop. It's going to be interesting. I don't expect this to be the scenario. But if Brown does struggle to start the season against Fresno State, a formidable team, but a team that Oregon should really have no problem with. If he looks really bad against Ohio State, I don't think it'll happen, but it's a possibility then that's where things start to look a little bit ominous for him. And then you start to wonder if the stretch of the Stony Brook game the week after, Arizona the week after that, a bye week the week after that, if that's not where the time comes to insert the next guy. Two games that you're basically guaranteed to win as long as you show up, and then a bye week. You give yourself four weeks when you factor in the time off to have live reps, practice, film session. Then you enter the second half of the season ready to go with the future. And it all starts to play out on Saturday. Now, as a reminder, please subscribe and download the show. Appreciate everybody who has listened, but it really helps the show stay afloat as we get an audience. Other people are able to find us. People start searching for Oregon Ducks on their podcast locations. And the more subscribers we have, the more downloads we have, the easier it is for the audience to find us, which will hopefully allow it to stay on the air longer. And until we return on Thursday, thanks again for tuning in. And as always, Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.